You are listening to the Keeping It Juicy podcast. Your main squeeze in nutrition. Don't forget to subscribe and click the bell icon on YouTube so you can get notified every Tuesday when we upload a new episode. You can also add us on Facebook and Instagram at Keeping It Juicy Podcast. Hello. Hello. Welcome to episode 47, the part one of our gut month. Well, the poop is definitely in the poop. (laughs) So today we're going to be talking all about fiber, prebiotics, probiotics, and just really getting into some of the nitty-gritty with that. Anyways, we are going to dive into the new nutrition in the news. If you follow either of us on Instagram, we already posted about this on our stories. And it's an article that I found, and it's from uh, livescience.com. And basically, the article is uh, kind of statements coming from pediatricians saying that more kids should be getting weight loss surgery. So it's a very um, clickbaity type title. Uh, so I'll just kind of go over some of the statements that the article says. It says that about 4.5 million American children are severely obese, and pediatricians say more of them should be recommended to get weight loss surgery. In children, severe obesity is defined as having a body mass index, so BMI, of at least 120% of the 95th percentile for one's age and sex. We already know the problems with BMI, so moving on. Uh, At this weight, children and teens face greater risk of chronic diseases than their peers who are at a more, you know, normal weight. According to this, uh, health conditions that they're more susceptible to are high blood pressure, Sleep apnea, type 2 diabetes uh, occur more severely in these children, along with mental health conditions such as depression. That's what this article says. Also says, over the last decade, studies have shown that weight loss surgery is both safe and effective for children and teens when performed in high-quality centers, uh, but the procedure is currently underutilized among children who could potentially benefit from it. Underutilized? I have never heard of a child getting weight loss surgery. I don't want to hear about it. I think um, actually in my internship, the youngest person we came into during our rotation at the bariatric surgery center was 16 years old. And even that one, I was like, send her back. She don't, she don't need to be here. Right. And, you know, 120% percentile is not that crazy like you know and all of a sudden that puts you at the you know parameter to be able to be considered for I don't know it's just it's very odd so also in the article it says it's a lifelong decision with implications every single day for the rest of your life we know this is very true you know weight loss surgery is not just a one and done deal you have specific dietary and activity recommendations that you still need to follow. Weight loss surgery sometimes doesn't always, you know, enforce the habits that go along with the healthy Mm -hmm. lifestyle. It just kind of jumps you there. (laughs) So it's controversial. It's Uh, definitely controversial. mm -hmm. And then the article kind of closes with a statement that says, 
teens should be able to discuss every option with their doctors and surgery should be one of those options. I'm just not sure teens will completely understand the lifelong commitment that it requires. And it's almost like, no, our brains don't, our brains don't stop developing until we're what females is what? 22 and males 25. So I've heard even older sometimes like when, when you're teenagers, you don't know what you're doing. And I know for a fact, when I was a teenager, I didn't feel comfortable talking to my doctor about anything, especially with the parent right there. Same. Same. And yeah, this is just our experience, you know, growing up. But yeah, I definitely, you know, if I was 16, 17, I definitely would have been, would not have been comfortable talking about weight loss surgery because it's already uncomfortable kind of being pegged as overweight as a teen. Like kids are mean. And when Kids might hear, oh, yeah, you can get weight loss surgery and lose all this weight in X amount of time. That sounds super appealing. So they may not be able to fully weigh the pros and cons, and they're being influenced by this almost quick fix that it sounds like. And children shouldn't be worrying about weight loss surgery at 16, 17. They should be worried about... I don't know. Building healthy habits. (laughs) Maybe getting good grades in school. Maybe like spent working on their social skills. I don't know. Maybe worried about applying to college. Not stuff like this. Right. Right. So we would love to hear your thoughts. You know, is there circumstances when maybe weight loss surgery is the best option? Maybe. Uh, We would love to hear your thoughts. And if you have some more insight on this topic, but on the surface level, it is just a very interesting perspective on childhood obesity. Doctors shouldn't be recommending anything. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have personal opinion on this. Ignore. So with that being said, let's dive into the bulk of our episode. And oh. it's off. <laughs> I see what you did. <laughs> <laughs> Bulk meaning fiber, guys. So with that being said, fiber is a type of carbohydrate that the body can't digest. Though most carbohydrates are broken into sugar molecules, fiber itself cannot be broken into sugar molecules. And instead, it passes through the body rather super undigested. So fiber helps regulate the body's use of sugars, helps to keep hunger under control, and your blood sugar in check. Dietary fiber can be categorized as being either soluble or insoluble fiber. Most plant foods contain a small amount of each, and and it is important to include a variety of both as part of your diet. We'll touch more upon supplementation later on. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, fiber at a very surface level. We are sure most of our listeners know what fiber is, so we're not going to dive too, too deep into that. We're also going to dive into what are prebiotics and probiotics. So prebiotics are natural, non-digestible food components that are linked to promoting the growth of the helpful bacteria in your gut. Simply said, these are good bacteria promoters. Yes, there are good bacteria and bad bacteria. Not all bacteria are bad. Most of us know this as well. Uh, Prebiotics can improve uh, gastrointestinal health as well as potentially in enhance calcium absorption, so good bacteria in your gut. Prebiotics do include fructo-oligosaccharides such as inulin, 
and galactooligosaccharide. Say that three times fast. Go. Big word. <laughs> Very big word. <laughs> so you can get your prebiotics in a multiple of places such as banana, onions, garlic, leeks, asparagus, artichokes, soybeans, and whole wheat foods. And if you uh, don't like that, you're kind of shit out of luck. Well, pretty much like any whole food. You've got to like one. You've got to like something. <laughs> At least one. So moving on, probiotics are the good bacteria or live cultures. So just like the ones that are naturally found in your gut, these are active cultures that can help repopulate your intestinal bacteria to help balance that gut flora. This functional component can improve immunity and overall health especially GI health. Uh, for instance, probiotics have been used for management of irritable bowel syndrome and its symptoms. A lot of our immune system mm -hmm. lives in our gut. You have a lot of microbes in your gut and they are all very important. So keeping that balance of your gut flora is essential. We will get into that more in different episodes, such as like the gut-brain relationship. Mm -hmm. So. To get more probiotics, uh, most of us hear this a lot, but yogurt, kefir products, aged cheese, um, kimchi, sauerkraut are also big ones. Pretty much anything that is like fermented. So why is fiber important? Why is prebiotic important? And why is probiotic important? Well, lucky for you, we're going to go right into that. <laughs> so ultimately, prebiotics or the good bacteria promoters and probiotics or the good bacteria work together synergistically so they're like i don't know a really good they're really good friends yeah they're very i would say best friends so <laughs> so what that what i mean by that is like for example you can enjoy them together by for example putting bananas on top of yogurt so you have a little bit of prebiotic in the banana a little probiotic in the yogurt and then you can, or you can stir fry asparagus with tempeh, which is a win-win. So that's one option. So in regards to fiber, there is new research about it that says it can play a role in preventing food allergies. So, which is actually kind of interesting. Um, that tends to be pretty new. Again, this theory comes down to the interaction between fiber and bacteria in the gut. Scientists theorize that people are not producing the right gut bacteria to tackle foods commonly associated with allergies like peanuts and shellfish, which is, if you guys are food or science majors, you know that's one of the top allergies is peanuts and shellfish. Mm -hmm. So without the right bacteria, particles of these foods can enter the bloodstream via the gut. Fiber helps produce a bacterium called Clostridia, which helps keep the gut secure. Reasoning explains why fiber might help people with asthma, which is another interesting thing. Unwanted particles escaping the gut and entering the bloodstream can cause an autoimmune response like an asthmatic inflammation. So there was an animal study in 2013 that found that mice eating a high-fiber diet were less likely to experience asthmatic inflammation than mice on a low or average fiber diet. So What's the bottom line? At a minimum, prebiotics and probiotics are keys for good gut health, which affects many other areas of the body. Incorporating health-promoting functional foods, such as foods containing prebiotics and probiotics, into the diet aids in creating a healthier version of yourself. 
for specific advice on obtaining prebiotics or probiotics for your own specific health needs, especially if you have any GI issues or weakened immune system, always, always contact a registered dietitian. They tend to, there's a couple of specialized dietitians in the gut area. So if you just look it up or research it in your area, you should be able to find a couple. Yeah. So yeah, that is very intricate. So definitely consult with a registered dietitian for any specific concerns because there are so many. We're going to go into diseases and conditions related to the gut in a later episode, and you will see. (laughs) (laughs) So moving on to how we get them, we touched a little bit on this, but this is specific to fiber. Great sources of fiber are whole fruits, vegetables whole grains and beans. There are also a ton of fiber supplements out on the market right now. Um, You can pretty much find fiber in protein bars, yogurts, cereals, fiber supplements on its own. It's in a lot of stuff right now. But the best sources of fiber are your whole grains, fresh fruits and vegetables, legumes, and nuts. Just a couple tips for increasing fiber. Definitely drink I'm sorry, eat whole fruits instead of like fruit juices. Uh, Replace your white breads, rices, and pasta with brown rice and the whole grain products. Those will have the fiber where the white versions won't. Uh, For breakfast, you can choose cereals that have whole grains as their first ingredient. You can snack on raw vegetables instead of chips, crackers, cookies, chocolate bars, things like that. Try to substitute beans and legumes for meat two to three times per week in soups and chilies and things like that to get more fiber in your diet. So with that being said, can you get too much? We'll go into that. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, children and adults need at least 20 to 30 grams of fiber per day for good health. Absolutely. But most Americans usually only get about 15 grams a day. So are we all constipated? I don't know. So although most Americans don't get enough fiber, too much fiber can happen. As we talked about our personal experiences, if you go back some episodes, Uh, (laughs) and this is not always a good thing. So too much fiber can inhibit the absorption of other nutrients, believe it or not, leading to a cascade of other problems. So basically, if you have an increased intake of dietary fiber, it may cause a potentially negative effect um, mineral absorption in the body not and i mean who knew so with that I mean, basically the fiber just kind of it's such a big molecule when you're trying to digest it and it's indigestible so other nutrients kind of get stuck in it and you don't digest it so it just goes out so you don't get those nutrients you know but anyone that's watching the youtube version of this <laughs> i'm very amused from your hand gestures so <laughs> So, you know, visual. (laughs) So, for example, the addition of brands from oat and wheat to the diet of adult males resulted in a decrease absorption rate for copper, calcium, magnesium, and zinc. So, more results from animal studies confirmed that that the addition of relatively high levels of dietary fiber in the rat diets resulted in an impaired absorption of a number of key minerals such as iron, zinc, calcium, and magnesium. So, I mean, 
you're basically <laughs> yeah you need those and you're decreasing your minimal bioavailability by doing this so don't overdo it like if you want to like when I mean overdo it, I'm mean, like don't go go ahead and just eat 100 grams of fiber every day because that's unnecessary. Right. So unless you really enjoy um, uh, nutrient the deficiency, <laughs> the, the pain and pain. the nutri- the nutrient deficiencies, you can go ahead right. with that. <laughs> right. And we've talked about this in a in a past episode, but we are gonna jump into like the quality of it, but. I remember back in college, we we ate like two Quest bars and a complete cookie and easily got up to like 70, 80 grams of fiber and we were in major pain. And I feel like you were in more pain than I was. I was in a lot of pain. My you? stomach was about like, it, it was just huge. My body was very mad at me. <laughs> So don't eat all the Quest Bars. Right. So moving into quality, Quest Bars are obviously fortified with fiber. Mm -hmm. I think a Quest Bar has 20-something grams of fiber. So that could be a substantial part of your daily fiber. But we do want to get into does the quality matter? The accepted view is that synthetic nutrients are almost chemically identical to those found in food. However, the production process of synthetic nutrients is very different in the way that plants create them. So despite having a similar structure, your body may react very differently to synthetic nutrients. It's also unclear how well synthetic nutrients are actually absorbed and used in the body. So going back on this, you know, we easily downed like 70, 80 grams of fiber from these Quest bars and fortified foods. To get that from plants would be really hard yeah like you would have had to eat loads and loads and loads of vegetables we would have stopped eating before we got to that point but because it was fortified and so concentrated you know an hour later it's just like what the fuck is happening we fucked up (laughs) at that moment we realized we made a terrible mistake (laughs) there's nothing you can do just gotta wait it out you know just drink your water wait it out But this is because when you eat real food, you're not consuming single nutrients, but rather a wide range of vitamins, minerals, cofactors, and enzymes that allow your body to utilize them optimally. Without these additional compounds, synthetic nutrients are unlikely to be used by the body in the same way as their natural components. For example, many studies show that natural vitamin E is absorbed twice as efficiently as synthetic vitamin E. Mm-hmm. So this is they, a lot of different nutrients too. Yeah, it's not just fiber supplements. Uh, vitamin A versus uh, beta carotene has a lot of research as well. Oh, yeah. So something to consider. So with that being said, what about food products that have only one type of fiber added? So basically, the fortified type of food. Does this do more harm than good? So well, let's dive in. <laughs> So what does the data tell us? So it suggests that more emphasis needs to be placed on the consuming amount, the adequate amounts of fiber in general, whether it's from actual whole foods or from added fiber ingredients in formulated foods. I mean, this proves a good point. It probably 
a lot of Americans don't have enough fiber as of right now. So really, they're just trying to focus on closing that gap between the actual intake status and the recommended fiber consumption. So according to the IOM dietary reference intake, both forms either naturally occurring in foods or added during food reformulation and production become part of the total fiber content of the food. Does that mean you need to eat two Quest bars a day? No. <laughs> I highly, from a personal standpoint, do not suggest it. <laughs> you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Don't do it. <laughs> so it is arguable that when fiber is added back into food, it is only one form. And as we know, nutrients don't tend to exist on their own. And getting a combination of different types of fiber is very important. Like we talked about soluble and insoluble. Um, another example is inulin, which is a chicory root fiber. And that is one of the fibers needed to um, bulk up the fiber content. Uh, it's found in a lot of different products. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the main ones that the food industry adds to yogurts. Right. Bars, um, to get that fiber content up. So if you are getting the majority of your fiber from fortified sources, you may actually be missing out on types of fiber completely. So that includes you could be missing out on cellulose and other and other beta glucans, including pectin, lignin, and raffinose, all of which are found in fruits, vegetables, beans, and legumes. So fortified foods are obviously not your only you can't just rely on those. So each play, each type of fiber plays their own role, and supplements fortification usually do not have these types of complementary types of fiber. And if they do, the bioactivity is not as strong as it would be from an actual whole food. Like mm-hmm. I said, don't book up on the Quest bars. Eat an apple, something. And don't depend entirely on supplements. Supplements are meant to supplement. And yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. Literally, supplement is a supplement. That's it. A lot of us are very supplement crazy right now. Instagram helps with that a lot. All the Insta models. Um, but in, order, in order to get some BMs, <laughs> choke some back and you're ready to go. But supplements are definitely not necessary. Focus on foods first. But like mm. I said, right now, the majority of people are just not getting enough fiber. Like in general so the goal is to close that gap but secondary to that you know the quality of it matters a lot too Mm -hmm. so kind of two different battles going on right now so what will happen if you don't get enough fiber we talked about what will happen if you get too much (laughs) but this is what happens when what comes in doesn't always go out So according to uh, research, the public is aware of the benefits of fiber, and most people believe they consume enough fiber. However, uh, research shows that only about 5% of the population meets recommendations, and inadequate fiber intakes have been called a public health concern. It is a nutrient of concern. Mm -hmm. So dietary fiber has demonstrated a protective role against various diseases, from constipation, cancer, cardiovascular disease. Bowel function is the most directly affected by fiber content in foods, and that is manifested in the frequency of bowel movements and is more importantly, stool consistency. 
you're not having enough bowel movements, that's when we run into problems. Talk about being uncomfortable. Yeah. So yeah. definitely make sure what comes in definitely goes out because it's, it's one of those nutrients where it's like more isn't better. And that's true with a lot of nutrients. <laughs> if it's good, more must be better. And that's definitely not true. Too much is a problem. Too little is a problem. 20 to 30 grams is generally the ballpark. I feel, like, I feel like we talk about this every time we do an episode. Not too much, not too little. Yeah. That's <laughs> basically what nutrition is, is all about. Oh, man. Yeah. So... I don't know, guys. Are you getting enough fiber? Are you getting those BMs going? Too much fiber. <laughs> oh, that's an issue. That's mm-hmm. definitely an issue. I will say this. When I was in Italy or in, or in Turkey, I definitely got more whole foods into my system. Mm-hmm. And then I think the first week I came back here, I'm not to say my BMs were not going, which as dietitians, we talk about BMs all the time. So deal with it. Um it's just I was super bloated when I came back. So there's there could be a cultural difference too, for sure. Cultural difference, I mean in stress edu- from travel. Like, mm-hmm. That plays a role too. When you're stressed, your bowel movements are typically slower, sometimes faster. No, I'm saying how you feel stressed. <laughs> sometimes faster. I gotta go. <laughs> just depends. Everyone's very different. But the quality of food plays a big part. Um, But fortified foods, like here in America, are all over the place. Like, like there is fiber literally added into so many different things right now. It kind of blows my mind about how we're still not getting enough. I don't know. I I mean, like, you would think fiber, like... You, th- you would think that trend would start up like it's still you still see it on nutrition supplements but for some reason we're still having the issue of getting that in I mean just add add beans like days when I have beans my fiber is like through the roof like but it's all not na- it's you know it's its natural form so I don't have <laughs> digestion <laughs> issues on those days but oh. also not you know 70 or 80 grams it's maybe 35 right so you know so things are a super super good source yeah so i hope you guys enjoyed our first part of this we like to call it november is the new gut month i hope you guys partake in this definitely <laughs> definitely good. you know leading into the holidays get your gut mm-hmm. in check before all the <laughs> oh yeah nonsense definitely. starts <laughs> Um, but yeah, if you have any requests on specific um, gut questions, we'll definitely add them into our kind of agenda we have. So please let us know. Uh, but with that, we will close out with our social media shout out of the week. It goes to Lab to Life Nutrition, and it is ran by Lauren Gardner, who is a uh, <laughs> registered dietitian. She has her master's as well. She is a sports dietitian. And her page is really awesome. It's just great practical tips for athletes. There's food picks, exercise tips, and much, much more. So thank you so much for supporting us. And we see you. We see you. We appreciate you. you. (laughs) We're watching. Thank you guys for listening. And we will catch you in the next one. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Keeping It Juicy podcast. 
your main squeeze in nutrition. Don't forget to subscribe so you can join us every Tuesday for a brand new episode. Also, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Keeping It Juicy Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Five stars, no less. On whatever platform you're listening to, or send us an email at keepingitjuicypodcast at gmail.com. Or if you have any topics you'd like for us to touch upon, shoot us an email. Until next time, don't do anything that I wouldn't do.